Levi. Yes, Sam. Are you ready to write about the Odyssey? Oh, uh, I don't know about that. It's only one of the most famous works of literature. And it's only one that's been around for between three and two and a half thousand years, informing uh, countless stories from the Aeneid to medieval romances to Joyce's Ulysses, one of the greatest and most indomitable modernist novels ever written, to movies like A Brother Where Art Thou and countless more. There's so many ways to approach this. There's so many aspects to it. And we're going to try and condense it into an essay between one and 2,000 words. So that and, link can... and link it two in other works of to two other works of literature. two other works of literature, which are also titans in their own right, The Seafarer and the Old Man of the Sea. There is a lot to unpack here. Luckily, I think we may be up to the task. We have been studying this work on and off for about a decade. It's in, true. In many forms. So hopefully, even though that's a comparatively minuscule amount of time <laughs> compared to the amount of time the work has existed for, hopefully a lifelong love for Greek mythology and formal study in the classics for a long time will prepare us for this task. Exactly. Let's give it a go at least. All right. Sounds good. Let's crack into it. Okay, well, let's uh, let's just talk, and then at a certain point, we'll hopefully get to a point where it's a good place to start the podcast, but um, or, or whatever this turns out being. How do we want to approach writing about the Odyssey of Homer? Because mm. there's a lot in this work, and I think there's a lot of angles that I'm, I'm just not sure when it comes to the theme and it comes to the other works in question. It's hard to know the best angle to take. Yeah, I definitely get what you mean, because it's about negotiating between the the quantity and also quality of the writing of the Odyssey and coordinating that with the theme of troubled seas. Like, do we want to engage with the hospitality aspects, for example, or... That is one of the biggest aspects that I think. At first, I was excited by it, and then I went and thought to myself, no, that doesn't match the theme perfectly, we should leave it alone. But the more I've been, you know, sitting on the other works and spending time with them and with the Odyssey itself and with the theme, I feel like it, it isn't inappropriate to look at the mm. hospitality aspect. Um, and I think there are a few reasons. First of all, like I was saying, I think the other works contain that theme as well. Um, okay. So the Seafarer, which if I can lean over and grab my copy. I've got my copy, this lovely three-part set from Folio of Chronicles of the Dark Ages. And this one is law, Anglo-Saxon law and learning. Um, so it's just like it's all primary texts. Um, yeah, yeah. With a little introduction to each. So I've got somewhere in here, there's a copy of the Seafarer. But I mean, I don't necessarily need it up in front of me, but it's always nice. And I, what I remember when I went back to it, I mean, I, I remember it being there when I first studied it, but going back, there was... This is a good section. It's called Exile and Loss. It's probably in here. Here it is. Seafarer. So the poem of the Seafarer has so many beautiful instances of alliterative verse that describe the sea and the the, the birds and the, the fish within it and, and how there's a sort of loneliness to everything that exists in the sea. Mm. 
or at least as as the seafarer perceives it, there's a loneliness to it all. But of course, he has to contrast that with something. And what he contrasts it with is traditional Anglo-Saxon hospitality. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. Where I'm trying to find the the spot here. But okay, here we go. Days of great glory in the kingdom of earth are gone forever. Kings and kaisers and gold-giving lords are no longer as they were when they wrought deeds of greatest glory and lived in the most lordly splendor. This host has perished, joys have passed away, weaklings thrive and hold sway in the world. Enjoy it through their labors, dignity is laid low. The earth's flower ages and withers, as now does every man throughout this middle earth. Which, if that's not pretty much the opening plot of the Odyssey, <laughs> I don't know what is. True, um, true. That's, that's essentially how the Odyssey starts. I mean, yes, we have Telemachus going to visit first Nestor and then Menelaus, who are great lords and still exist but there's a sense that they're the the rear guard of an age that's dying um yeah absolutely absolutely you definitely get that they're, they're sort of the old men from whom he seeks wisdom but then they're, they're not the contemporaries he's faced with yeah and there's sort of a sadness of visiting both because i think and that's a big thing with nestor in both of homer's epic poems is that nestor's constantly reminding people <laughs> his contemporaries that they are nothing compared to the men he once fought alongside and with um mm. there's there's that that constant theme especially whenever you know there's a heated dispute at troy and nesta gets up and speaks and he says listen all of you let me yeah. tell you about some of the heroes i've fought alongside and things that they did and let's just curb your aggression you know all this big macho show it's like if you know I was here's that great line where he's like you know if i were if i was still your age <laughs> <laughs> it's a classic old wise man thing to say but also yeah absolutely coming from Nestor, you know like, oh well you, you believe it but yeah like telemachus at the start of the odyssey is faced with what is described here in the seafarer where um you know joys have passed away weaklings thrive and hold sway in this world enjoy it through their labors dignity is laid low and that's what the suitors represent is this dawn of an age of weaker, pettier men and who who don't hold the right relationship to kingdoms or to women or to family. You know, they disrespect Odysseus's wife. They disrespect Odysseus's father and mother. They disrespect the household. And none of them are men of valor. Yeah. And so I guess to flick as well forward to the old man in the sea, which is the third work. I think in, in some ways you can look at that and say, well, this isn't really a work about hospitality because it's just Hemingway at the end of his life sort of reflecting on his own legend and telling this story about this old man who goes out for one final swing at glory and oh, he he's so close to grasping it and it's sort of elusive as, as ever. Mm. But the framing, again, just like the seafarer and the odyssey the framing at the start and end of the old man in the sea is about his relationship with a young man who he calls just the boy who used to help him on his boat but now no longer does because his, the boy's parents want him to work on on luckier fishing boats that actually pull in pulling catches yeah um and this boy cares for the old man you know and he he sort of shares the old man's secret poverty because the old man has, and the boy, it's really touching. There's these moments in the start and the end where the old man's sort of pretending like, oh, I've got, you know, the boy says, do you want me to bring you anything for dinner from the, from the, you know, fish market? And the old man says, no, 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 I've got rice on the stove I'll, and some beans. I'll eat that. And they both know that's false. Um, the old man yeah. has nothing to eat. He has almost no blankets. He sleeps on newspapers and all that sort of stuff. And the boy is part of this little pretense where he, he's caring for the old man, but there's a limit to that because he can't, provide him with everything because that would decrease the dignity of the old man and the old man is this 
mythical figure in Havana, like in Cuba, in this little fishing town. You know, there's the, this the story goes on, you know, you and the man's out at sea, he's reflecting on his own story. Big theme of how he went to Africa, saw lions. There's a story that, that gets told about how he um, arm wrestles a the biggest African-American worker in Cuba and, and after 12 hours beats him in an arm wrestle. And so he's sort of this figure of prowess. Everyone knows he's the, the sort of the man but he's sort of he's he's lost his luck and now all these other fishing mm. boats with sort of the the lesser men the new newer younger generation uh the ones bringing the catches and he no longer can can catch anything yeah like the way you're the way you're describing that because i haven't read the old man of the sea i should put that disclaimer in here now i'm not a, i'm not very well versed with the works of hemingway in general and sam's very you're much the expert here but i would say that i wouldn't say an expert uh, but i've read yeah i've read an, i think you, yeah i've read a few yeah but the way you're describing it there, it sounds very much almost like what Odysseus coming home at the end of the Odyssey. Like he's a man of great renown, but he's he's now he's a beggar and these men of lesser renown are inhabiting his home and sort of taking his place. Yeah, yeah. And so I think going back to the theme we chose troubled seas, the image of the troubled sea is in many ways the image of a troubled home. And I think a lot of works that deal with the image of a troubled sea also take the theme of a, a household in trouble and and that's mm. woven into the that's woven into the work as well. So yeah, I don't think you can neglect that aspect. Um, although at first I was like, oh, that doesn't really fit perfectly with the Troubled Seas theme. Maybe we should focus more on just maritime adventures and big fish and <clears throat> sea monsters because all of them deal with sea monsters. <laughs> and it's like, oh, well, that yeah. can easily be the theme. But there is something deep about how all of these works somehow choose to treat with themes of hospitality and the hearth and the home they describe how trouble at sea can be a reflection of trouble at the hearth mm, absolutely and i think this is also maybe, maybe in part where you get these three works sort of touch on the theme of of the of the return almost like i'm not i'm not sure how much that fits with the old man and the sea but like the, the odyssey and the seafarer are very very strongly like nostalgic works let's say yeah yeah i think about well, the old man of the sea does end in that way. Like, I mean, I, I'm not going to say that this is a spoiler because, first of all, Hemingway is too good an author to spoil because you just read him and enjoy him no matter what. And also, the book's 70, 80 years old. So, <laughs> yeah, it's um, my fault. I haven't read it yet. <laughs> yeah, and it's only like uh, what three chapters, like a hundred pages. So, but also, like, yeah. knowing the plot of this story isn't going to ruin anyone's experience of it when they when they read it because Hemingway is brilliant. Uh, mm. So the the end of the story has him recovering like the biggest fish he's ever pulled he's ever seen from the water after days of just having it on the line by himself out at sea out of sight of land not knowing if he'll physically be able to, to tolerate the strain on his body and then on his his slow rowing and sailing back towards cuba uh the sharks come and they tear the fish apart and by the time he gets back it's just the spine and the tail and the head left and it's such a sad work but it's so awe-inspiring because he gets back and everyone sees it. And even though he couldn't bring the fish back and make the money off it that he hoped to, to make his life comfortable again, it's just like in the Odyssey, there's a sense in which, well, things aren't going to be the same. You know, the prosperity of Ithaca will not be the same after the suitors. This prosperity no. of the Anglo-Saxon world will not be the same now that the great laws of renown have gone. But people can still see the skeleton, <laughs> you know what I mean? Still yeah. see the remnants remnants of the heroes, of the giant killers, see the trophies and say, there is the image that we looked up, look up to. And so it's interesting because, yeah, out of what, what does come out of troubled seas, and it's not 
always, in fact, it's seldom in a lot of these stories, new life exactly comes out of it. You know, sometimes mm. the sea does just destroy men and lives and communities and coastlines and it, and it tears things down. But as tragic as some of these works can be or as melancholy as they can be, you have images throughout of, of little remnants, you know what I mean? Little images of, of the good things that are now gone that haven't fully departed. So, yes, I think it's a very complex theme. And it's one that, you know, was sort of picked when we were doing this because it is the symbolic move from the journey up to move to troubled seas. You know what I mean? We, mm. If you think about things like Hero's Journey, you think things about like the kind of structure of something like the Exodus, all these stories about the movement into meaning, into reality, there's always this aspect as soon as the journey starts. I mean, The Pilgrim's Progress, the bestseller in English literature for hundreds of years, Immediately, he starts on a journey out and gets caught in the Slough of Despond. He sinks in this big, miry bog and almost yes. drowns. So it's somehow, in all these very classic and, and recognisable and meaningful stories, somehow always the place to go. And it is a rich theme because a lot of the works that deal with what it's like to be in a troubled sea have a lot more than just sea monsters and islands and shipwrecks and all, all of that sort of stuff, storms and et cetera. Yeah, yeah, they're not just like adventure narratives, let's say. Yeah, and adventure narratives can be great as well because that's, I mean, <laughs> the past month rereading the Odyssey has been such a blast because it is just exciting. <laughs> yes. And I've had, I've been like listening to it and on, on audio and also reading it in person. I've got two different translations and they're both great. I think I asked you once, and I don't know when this was, it might have been when we were working on a different project together. And I asked about your favorite translation of a particular classical work, like if you had one. Mm. And I think you just responded like it, it really doesn't matter, you know, with with most of these works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, with with uh, I think with Homer, I've read uh, Butler and Chapman. And I think that's that's the extent of my translation exposure. But I mean, like the work just almost speaks for itself. Yeah. In, it's in almost so many like ways. if you're going to the effort of translating all of Homer, if someone's gone to that effort, it's just a safe bet that it's probably like it's going to be fine like you don't yeah. stress too much about it i have read i can't remember who it was there's a modern translation that i think like maybe harper published or something it's got those very eye-catching these very eye-catching covers the name of the publisher or the translation so it's incredibly unhelpful but i remember reading that once and it in that translation i came across my favorite Homeric simile. This is a tangent now. Uh, because <laughs> it's from right. the Iliad, not the Odyssey. But it's from one of the early books. And again, it's one of the ones that I've read in other translations. The simile is still beautiful because it, it it's Homer and it's very hard to just absolutely butcher how beautiful his his right, like his his poetry and images are anyway. But it's a it's a young man who is stabbed by Diomedes or Ajax in one of their rages. And it talks about how his head then droops like a poppy that was been over soaked by the dew and it's like and even in this way did the the red blood you know gush from his his neck as his head sank low to the ground and you know he embraced bitter death and it was like oh yeah, such a powerful image because a poppy laden with the dew is such a hopeful and beautiful image you know it's it's, yeah. it's new life it's springtime um and Homer just takes that image and puts it right alongside uh, someone getting skewered by a uh, semi-divine hero um yeah that's and that's something that exists in the odyssey it's just these beautiful moments i think the odyssey in some ways 
it's less well known for its similes compared to the the Iliad. I think the Iliad probably takes a lion's share when it comes to like uh, this is the, these are the big Homeric similes that are really striking. Because I think the Odyssey and I, f- I feel like the Odyssey just is so renowned for the number of striking episodes that have such profound storytelling occurring within them that it's it's harder to get caught up in the details of the similes when the overall narrative beats are so enrapturing mm. yeah yeah yeah. whereas the Iliad for for all that it's a, a wonderful tale of, of human folly it is at times less of a well it's less of an adventure story it's it's yeah. almost more of a political drama in times it is and it's very hard to follow especially in the first read I mean I reread it I, I think started this year end of last year but I remember like first reads of that you know, in the first couple, you can you can just lose what's going on sometimes because it's that bulk of the book is the gods allow the battle to swing in a certain direction, and then after a book or two of the Trojans winning, they'll swing it back to the Greeks and allow the Greeks to take ground. And so you'll just be reading a very very long battle sequence, and you'll kind of you can sometimes kind of forget exactly where the plot's moving. Um, no, but all, and all you do get during those battle sequences is is similes. Is the similes, the yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah, and that's what you're you're gripping onto because it's otherwise it's just um, especially again like first time readers you're reading all these these Greek names and you're you're going oh I can't really remember whose side this person is on and and then you get to the end of the chapter like oh okay Hector showed up okay now I know who's who's the gods are favoring <laughs> you know yeah exactly um, there are yeah exactly like the Odyssey is still still contains very much those the similes and like just that that beautiful it's obviously it's verse um but it's yeah it's let's less pronounced in like the overall excitement of the narrative and and so mm. on so let's get down to the nitty-gritty i guess we've we've kind of gone over the works generally and the depth of the theme uh mm. and how there's a lot of aspects here. so from troubled seas we see that the image of hospitality of the troubled heart and the troubled home is encapsulated and often reflected by sea imagery. And we see that within that you have these, the the image of the sea's destruction reminds us of the march of time and how even great men eventually are laid low and things are less than what they were because of their passing. And so that's all kind of fits into that theme. So let's now look at how we're going to go about introducing this essay and conveying what we want to say when we write this for the readers because where do you start like do you start by just saying oh here are some of the cool adventures Odysseus went on in the book here's the Cyclops here's Calypso here's Circe here's the whirlpool and the multi-headed monster that he has to pass through the sirens all these famous moments Mm. That everyone's seen a children's book illustration of at some point has, you know, deep imagery, I'm sure, embedded in there, you know, or they've seen Wrath of the Titans or something. Do we start yeah. with that and then go into the deeper themes or do we do we want to outline the themes first? I mean, it's such a rich work, it's hard to know exactly what the, the right tact is off the bat. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think I, I, I do. I do think we need to start by giving some context because, like, I mean, the Odyssey is a Odyssey is obviously a fantastically well known work. Perhaps, perhaps we start by just saying like the Odyssey, something along the lines of it's, it's named after its principal protagonist, details his adventures, mm-hmm. and then maybe moving from that, and then like in the same paragraph, like going, it's, it's like an it's adventure narrative, but it has these deeper themes, and then maybe from there you transition into like an yeah, something like that. Yeah. Well, I think. The Odyssey, I mean, both of Homer's works do this, um, and I'm sure many people might already know this fact about them, but both works start with the key word to define the work. Mm. 
So in the Iliad's case, correct me if I'm wrong, it's wrath. Yeah, wrath. Is the opening word. And then in the Odyssey, it's just the man, is it not? Uh, yeah, yeah, some fellow son. And then obviously it goes from there into seeing our muse about this topic, which in English usually just, they, the translations in English usually say, seeing our muse of wrath and the man Achilles, you know, and then it goes on. And then in yeah. the Odyssey, it goes, seeing our muse of the man Odysseus and all the troubles he went through to get back home to Ithaca. Um, yeah. But I have, you know, you do encounter translations where they do try and keep that keyword at the front and it says, of wrath now seeing, O goddess, you know, or of the man tell me, O muse. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the Chapman, the famous Chapman translation begins with the man, O muse, in form. Mm. Like I can see why you change the word order to make it flow better in English in some translations, but it's great when the translations like Chapman's preserve the the key theme. And the man, again, the image of the sea and the image of the man are into so intertwined in the Odyssey and all the aspects of man, man is the, the leader of the hearth of the home, man is the legend, is the warrior, is the figure. They're all diminished and drained and challenged by the sea in this in this story again it's pretty much the exact same you could say that's the an app summary of something like old man in the sea it's about how a man is diminished and challenged and uh suffers in the hands of the sea and returns and the question is is it still the same man yeah so maybe that's a good place to start the essay is to say the odyssey begins with this iconic description it's about the man and it also is about his suffering. So I believe that's in the in the first line too. It's seeing of the sufferings of Odysseus. Yes, yes. And um and so the question, of course, is gonna be, well, what are the what from like whence the sufferings? Where do they come from? And the answer is the sea. Uh the wrath of Poseidon, the wrath of Polyphemus, his son, you know, all these all these elements are drawn from the sea. And even even other characters like Menelaus describes kind of suffering in the hands of the sea. He has to go and catch Proteus, the old man of the sea, and, you know, while his way back to, to uh, Sparta and all that. So, yeah, we have this opening word. We have the antagonist, which is the sea, and the gods and demigods and goddesses and witches that are associated with it, who then all put to trial Odysseus. And so we have these dual symbols going on that I think we can talk about. And again, we can talk about the essay of the Odyssey, but we can also carry that on through the way we introduce the other works too, because it's a similar theme of man versus wild <laughs> man versus. <the> Odyssey. <laughs> and then, and then that then gives us room to then go into these, these topics of, okay, well, what, here's the antagonist, the sea, what is it fighting? And it's not just fighting an individual man because Odysseus is not just an individual man. Odysseus is no. the king of Ithaca. Odysseus is the uh, the husband of Penelope, the father of Telemachus. You know, he is the companion of Menelaus and of Achilles, and he is all these things. Yeah. And it's interesting because he adds to his legend throughout this story, but he doesn't. Now, I might be wrong because. I might just be misremembering, but in all the times in which he recollects his legend, he doesn't to memory add, and oh, by the way, I'm the Cyclops Slayer, and oh, by the way, I'm the one who escaped Calypso, and oh, by the way, I'm the one who heard the sirens and lived. That's No, no, no. Even though to us, reading it now, we primarily think of Odysseus as, oh, he's the guy who fought the Cyclops and, and all these other aspects. It, these aren't necessarily adding to his legend within the story itself. He doesn't rock up at the Phaeacian coast and, and, and say, well, I'm the one who's... He te- does tell his story, but he introduces himself as Odysseus, the one who laid Troy low, the one who devised the strategy of the, of the horse, you know, Odysseus, the sacker of cities. 
Yes, exactly. Like, that's his legend. And that legend is being tested by the troubled seas he then has to pass through. Can you keep your glory, your image, your reputation, and then all the things that flow from that, your home, you know, the security of your kingdom, the relationship you have with your family, mother, father, son, wife, when everything is being stripped from you and you're becoming ignominious, you're becoming encrusted by the salt and by hard work, when you're being buffeted by the wind and waves and you're just slowly becoming the shadow of the glorious person you used to present yourself to be. No, I think that's a really interesting sort of way of framing the the narratives that we're talking about. And yes, this sort of idea, I think, of of lost glory in a sense, of diminished glory and of of the man who has been battered, this former legend who's been battered in some way, who has companion of these great men who is, let's say, like uh, Odysseus, the ingenious man, the mm. the the one of wily crafts. I think that's. I think that is actually how Homer, Homer introduces him. I think yeah, I think the man of, of there's an wound of wisdom somewhere. Yeah, epithet somewhere. It's like uh, the man of infinite resource and cunning. Which yeah. ever since we studied properly studied the Odyssey together almost a decade ago, I remember reading that line. I was like, that is such a good epithet infinite yeah. resource and cunning and it's like if i could have mm-hmm. that as my epithet you know I mean? yeah exactly that's the sort of epithet you're like i want to have that as my epithet <laughs> yeah like, exactly. more so than uh like by me is the loud battle cry it's like oh i don't know if i'll oppress many people these days with the loud battle cry epithet but it has <laughs> got a pretty good one <laughs> yeah exactly right, sorry <laughs> no 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 it's um it's good to riff off of that it's like it's like and i'd rather be known as that than let's say achilles who was famous because he was dunked in a river and <laughs> you know just happened to be good at fighting and had temper problems you know yeah um, yeah so it's, it's this yeah this idea of, of the degradation and then yeah observing the man who comes out on the other side of that mm. i think is and the place to which he returns as well because like of course yeah like the odyssey is i mean we're, we're probably not going to discuss it too much but i think another important part to keep in mind is that like half of the narrative of the odyssey is also like Telemachus and Penelope mm. and the state of Odysseus's home and how Penelope has been holding off the suitors, how Telemachus is going out to search for his father. Mm. Um, that's not going to, it's going to be less relevant, let's say to our story of the man, mm. but um, it's, it's a different, it's a different angle you could choose to explore as well. Yeah. It's like if Odysseus is sort of a central symbol and his struggle with the sea is the central conflict the struggle of Penelope and Telemachus against the suitors is like a Odysseus is a lens. It's like they're still in view. They're, they're aspects of the man. You know, it's the wife and the son. You have his father. He meets his mother in Hades. You have the nurse. Like there's all these aspects of his household that are circling, that kind of bookend the story. And, yeah. and let you know that Odysseus is not just, like we were saying before, some solo dude. He's not just some rugged, alpha male who just wants to be out there lone wolfing or sigma male wants to be out there lone wolfing his way through life it's like no that he's got something to get back to you know what i mean and what he's Mm. getting back to is actually reaching out towards him and that's kind of a symbol of his greatness is that he has a son and a wife who are inspired to live lives of heart like to, to to overcome struggles to overcome the hardships that are surrounding them in the same way that he does it is about a man, but the man is the symbol of the family in, in this case. Um, there's a lot yeah, going yeah. on there. And that's also, I think, that's a strong theme in the, in the seafarer is the absence of that, let's say. It's, it's the yeah, loneliness absolutely. and it's his, his, his wish to be reunited. Like, like how, to, how, to, how can we return in some sense to, yeah, it's to, to family? To the, yeah. 
yeah there's like a sense and, of the eerie or the, or the weird no well maybe not weird because that that means fated in that context i mean maybe it is anyway yeah there's something eerie about his his lonely lonesomeness it's like that's not totally right exactly all right well, well let's get writing let's get writing let's let's get some words on paper i think let's do that yeah to our listeners hopefully by the time you are listening to this it'll only be a few weeks from the full release of the issue two that you can read the edition of issue two online uh and maybe a week or two out from the full podcast where we'll be at least three if not four of us discussing in a in a broad sense the works and the context of them and yeah just just talking about how they uh have informed some of the creative writing on the magazine and so on and so forth so uh we hope you've enjoyed this little behind the scenes uh look into into our process and how we go about things on the editorial side and um yeah we hope that you'll be excited to read and listen to the full edition when it's released we will be hearing from you all later